Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good to see you today. So today is uh, sign up for link class. I mean, link groups and like link class too. But anyway, um, so Bethany had these really cool shirts uh, made. Uh, Simon, her husband, just stand up and just show everybody this cool shirt. See that cool shirt? Okay, so so she sent me a text last night. She said, be sure to wear your link shirt. You notice I don't have it on. But I, it's not that I didn't find it. I found it, and I put it on, and I was having a fat moment. And the shirt felt very clingy, and I felt very large. So I did the best thing I could. I got something that made me feel thinner than I really was. So I want you to know I did make the effort. I put it on. I put two or three coats on. Every coat I put on, I look bigger. So I'm done. When you have those fat moments, anybody ever had a fat moment? Uh, you know, I hate those. And I stare at my clothes, and they all look at me like, I dare you. <laughs> Just try, see if you can get me on, right? And uh, sometimes I take the dare, and then I'm like, I'm even more frustrated. I get hot. I feel like I'm getting a hot flash when I'm changing my clothes. I just, you know, just life is like that, amen? Hey, it was uh, almost seven years ago that a handful of us gathered in a living room in Anaheim Hills, and we launched this church. And the reason that that's so significant, number one, because you're here, but all the lives that have been changed over those uh, almost seven years. But it's also significant because it happened because we were connected. There were people who were connected around a mission, around a purpose, around a future that was really untold. We didn't know what it would look like. Didn't even, there were times where I didn't know it, if it would work. And uh, I did a lot of crying the first two years, just trying to, God, is this thing going to work? And I can remember standing uh, at the front of the church here with my wife and afraid to turn around because I just knew there was nobody behind me and praying that the Lord would come back. You know, Lord, would you just come back today before I have to get up and do this? And you think I'm joking. I'm really serious on this one. I was very serious on the fat thing too, but, I was really, but I'm really serious about this. And what makes it so powerful is this whole principle of, of connection. And that's why we, we really launch groups for you to get connected with people. See, we were made to be connected. When God built us and wired us, he wired us for a relationship, relationship with him, relationship with one another. And so I can't encourage you enough to give it a shot, give it a try, find a, a group that works for you. Um, if you want to be a leader, see Bethany. She can tell you about how that works and how you can start your own group if you don't see one that really fits your need. So with that, I, I just want to launch into this message because I think this message fits so well in what we're talking about. I want to prepare you that this is uh, a lot of stuff, all right? This is not a simple message. It's a message that will make you think, hopefully inspire your heart. It inspired me when I, when I began to study it. And I went over it, over it, and over it, over it. I said, God, how do I keep making this simpler, simpler, simpler so that we come back to it? So we just finished a conference called Eden, and I was reading in the book of Genesis. And remember, Adam and Eve, they sinned against God. Remember this kind of story in the Bible? Okay? And they, had, and they were forced out of the garden, and God said this, Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you shall return. 
Now, most people, when they read that, they kind of read over the one little word there that I want to focus on, and that's the word bread. Let's look at that scripture again. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Now, what makes that interesting is there was no bread before this time. They didn't even know what bread was. Everything that they ate, they simply walked up to a tree, plucked it, and ate it. It was really all an individual kind of an activity. But all of a sudden, he says, you're going to eat. It's gonna, you're going to sweat. This is going to work now, but you're going to eat bread. And I wonder if the discussion went something like this with, with Eve. I don't know what bread is. Do you know what bread is? And you think about bread. Bread is made from this process of planting and then harvesting, then grinding, and then baking. And so it involves a lot of people, doesn't it? It involves being connected, but it also involves faith because we have to put a seed in the ground and we have to wait for it to germinate and then bring forth fruit. Then we harvest it, we grind it, and then we make flour, and then we bake with it, and then all of a sudden, voila, we have bread. So what he was really doing, he was building into the future of mankind this idea that we need one another. And all through every part of your life, you are dependent. You're, you're, the success and your future is dependent on somebody else. When I say that to people, they go, what? What? Yeah, you, your future is dependent on someone else. I was at a restaurant the other day, and I looked around at all the different people and all the different functions, and everything was just operating perfectly. From the, from the person that was taking my order, the person that was cooking the food, to it was all right there. The, it was clean. It was nice. And I looked, and I just said, isn't it amazing what people can do when they work together around a single purpose? Amen? So I got fascinated with this idea of bread, and I began to think about Israel. Do you remember the story of Israel, and they're in Egypt, and then they leave Egypt, and in the wilderness, they're, they're hungry, and they cry out to Moses, Moses, what are we going to eat? And God provides from heaven something called manna. In the Hebrew, it literally means, what is it? You ever had a meal like that? I had a few. My mom used to make some. I don't know what, what it was. I, I look, I go, what is it? She said, don't worry about it. You eat it. Right? So I don't know what I was eating. Who knows? But what is it? And, and it was bread from heaven. And so here they are in the wilderness, and they're traveling. They're, they're, they're basically on this journey to get to the promised land, a land that was supposedly filled with milk and honey. And on this journey... They don't have time to plant and to grow, and so God provides bread from heaven. Are you with me on this? Now look at what Jesus says when we come to John 6:51. He said, "I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I shall give him is my flesh, which I'll, I shall give for the life of the world." So he said, you're going to live by bread, but you're going to live by physically by bread. You're also going to live spiritually by bread, but the bread, the spiritual, is a relationship with me. And you see, just like bread brought people together in the, in the, in the planting, in the harvesting, in the grinding, in the baking, so God says, I'm bringing you together around this idea of bread because we can't live without bread. Bread is something that is, is a symbol of the food and the sustenance that we have in life. So I kept going with this idea of bread. I just want you to see how this message developed. So I got to thinking about Jesus' birth. And Jesus was born in what town? 
Bethlehem. Okay, let's look at it up here on the board. Jesus' birth, Bethlehem, it literally means the house of bread. That little word Beth there in the front, okay, that has to do with the idea of house, and Lachem is the idea of bread. So it was the house of bread. So he was born in the house of bread. He was the living bread, right? But here is where it gets even more interesting. Look at these two Hebrew words here. First word, you see uh, the letters I have highlighted there in white versus yellow? Okay, those are our consonants. Now, in the original Hebrew, there were no vowels. Vowels were added so that we could pronounce the words. But it was really a language that you learned by hearing it, and that's why hearing is so important in the Word of God. Hear, O Israel, hear the Word of God. So they would hear it, and then they could read those words without having vowels in them. Okay? So you see those? Now, now let me just tell you this. The root words in Hebrew, if they have the same letters, they are the same root words. Now, you, what does that mean? Okay, let me show you the next word. Salt. Notice the highlighted letters in white. Same exact root word. So bread and salt are the same root word. It doesn't matter the order in Hebrew. If those same letters are all in one word, they all point back to the same root. So somehow, bread and salt are related. Interesting, right? Not yet? Okay, well, just hang in there, because I think we're going to make it a little bit more interesting. So I began to look up what does the word salt actually mean? We know what salt is. We know what we do with it. But what does salt actually mean? And it means this. It means to live on the obligation to the king's interests and not our own. Now, in Hebrew, the words don't have this, like, really tight-like, it means this. They actually are more pictographic, okay? That is, they paint a picture. And so in the Hebrew, this paints a picture that salt is a word that actually is a command. The command is eat salt. But the root word is also tied to the word king. You ever heard of Melchizedek, right, the king of Salem? Okay, the book of Genesis, that's the same root word. So this means to eat salt under the command of the king, that I have an obligation to eat salt, which is really good news for all of you men whose wives are trying to restrict your salt diet. Amen? But now, watch what happens. We're going to tie the bread and the salt together here in a moment. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, very familiar scripture. It says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, not every human being is the salt of the earth. He was talking about those people who were followers of God. You, specifically, are the salt of the earth. It's not, your, it's not the things you say that are the salt of the earth. It's not your good deeds that are the salt of the earth. You, personally, as a human being, are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. Now, I'm going to come back to that scripture in a bit, but let me take you a little bit further this word salt. So, salt in Hebrew... This melech means to be under the obligation to eat the salt of the palace, to be under the solemn obligation to the king's interest and not one's own. So when Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, they understand clearly what he was saying. He was saying that as the salt of the earth, you are under the obligation to do the will of the king and not your own will. To not follow after self-interest, but to follow after the interest of the king. And when you made this decision to follow Jesus, you made a decision to say, I want to do what Jesus wants me to do. I want to follow what the king has to say. 
So Jesus says this in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. If anyone desires to come after me. So he says, in your heart, if you say, I want to be a Jesus follower, when you say that, you're, you're, you're obligating yourself to something. He says, then you have to deny yourself. See, Christianity is about saying no to some things that you want to say yes to. Now, some people have painted this picture that Christianity is just, you know, God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life, and if you just believe in him, all your life is going to be go well. Now, if you've been a Christian very long, you know that that's not the case. Amen? That there's struggles, there's pain, there's difficulty, but somehow there's hope in the middle of all of that. That somehow there's an answer, if not now in eternity, there's an answer to what's going on in my world. And that brings great peace. A peace, the Bible says, it passes all understanding. So he says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Really cool story, person in our church, she came to Bodie Leaf on a Sunday morning. She noticed lights were flashing through that glass garage door there. And not coming here for church, she decided just to walk in and see what was going on. She walked in, she sat down, and then several months later she told me this story. She walked up and she said, you know, do you know how I came and I sit to this church? And I said, no. And she began to tell me she said, that story. And then she said, and now I'm a Jesus follower. And I said, okay, there's a lot in between. Uh, can you fill in the blank for me, please? I said, uh, she said, well, I came in here and I heard the message and I said, that's what I want to do. I want to follow Jesus. And I said, so did you like grow up in a Christian home and got away from the Lord, you know, and I'm trying to kind of build the whole scenario. She said, no, I was raised Buddhist. And this is the first church I've ever been in, and that was the first service I'd ever been in, and that was the first time I ever heard about it, and that was over a year ago. And she, she said, now I'm a Jesus follower. What was so compelling, what was so compelling about the message that day? It wasn't. It wasn't the music. It wasn't the message. It was Jesus. You see, there's something very irresistible about Jesus. When you encounter him, it's not like religion. I tell people this all the time, and they look at me like I'm crazy. I say, I hate religion, but I love Jesus. See, religion is all about going through these rituals and it's just over and over again and try to somehow, hopefully, God's going to like me if I do enough good stuff for him. But Christianity is about a pursuit of Jesus after us to where when we see him for who he really is, he is irresistible in our life. We want Jesus. Long story short, her boyfriend came. He's a Jesus follower, and they're getting married this year. I just love those kind of stories. Now, when we talk about salt, I want to take you on this next step in the journey and that is, there is what's called in the Bible a covenant of salt. You say, I've never heard of that. Well, most people haven't. It's only mentioned three times in Scripture, a covenant of salt. But the covenant of salt is prophetic. And what I mean by that is, when you see how God uses salt related to bread, it opens up your eyes to what God is doing in your life and in the world. Now, let me show you this. Numbers chapter 18 and verse 19. Whatever is set aside from the holy offerings from the firstborn, the Israelites present to the Lord. Okay, let's just stop there. So what happens? Well, when, whenever the firstborn is, is brought to an offering before the Lord, offered to God, uh, when those are offered to the Lord, the firstborn, the priests, the Levites, the, the tribes 
uh, of Aaron there, the tribe of Levi, rather, the tribe of Levi can eat from the first fruits. No other tribe could. Now, this is really important. So watch this. So we've got, we've got 12 tribes. One tribe gets to eat from the first offering that's made. Okay? Nobody else. Watch what happens here. The Israelites present to the Lord, I give to your sons and daughters as a perpetual share. So who's going to get to eat from this? Well, sons and daughters are going to get to eat. But only in this one tribe, this tribe of Levi, which was the priestly tribe of the 12 tribes. Everybody with me now? You still with me? Say, I'm with you. I'm confused, but I'm with you. All right, that's good enough. We, if we can get that much, we've got it going here. Okay, so I'm going to give your sons and your daughters as a perpetual share. What does perpetual mean? Ongoing, not ending, going to keep going. It is an everlasting covenant of salt. Salt, now what's the salt getting in here about? Okay, let's watch. Before the Lord for both you and your offspring. So here's the truth. Only sons and daughters can eat of the offering of the firstborn. If you're not a son and daughter in a priestly tribe, you can't eat. The other 11 tribes, they don't get to eat from this. Only in the priestly tribe do they get to. You say, that's great, but I'm not of the tribe of Levi. I have Levi's, but I'm not of the tribe of Levi. Right? Okay, now watch what happens here. This really gets fun. So this scripture is prophetic. What does that mean? It means it's looking out in the future. It's going to tell you something about what's happening. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 26. As they were eating, this is Jesus and the disciples. Jesus took bread. He blessed it. He broke it. He gave it to the disciples, and he said, take, eat. This is my body. This is the offering. So Jesus is the offering. He is the firstborn of the Father who's offered, and they are to eat meaning they are to believe in, they're to take the bread, and that's going to be a picture, a symbol, a memorial of what Jesus did as an offering for us. Are you with me? Now, the application's coming. All right. Joel chapter 2 and verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Okay, so what's happening here? He says the promise is coming. You're going to eat of the firstborn, the offering, and you're going to only, and all the sons and the daughters in this line are going to experience a move of the Spirit in their life in such a powerful way that they're going to see visions and dream dreams. Now, hang with me. Next step. We create an environment of holiness with salt. Do you know to this day, if you're in a Jewish home and, and you're there on Sabbath day, the first thing they do is they break the bread and then they put salt on it. They don't put salt on it because it needs to be flavored. They don't put salt on it because it's healthy. They put it on there as a reminder of the covenant of salt that they are recipients of the firstborn offering that was given. Now, what the what Jewish community at, by and large doesn't understand unless they've come to faith in Christ is this. If you've ever seen the, the unleavened bread, the matzah bread, you'll notice if you hold it up to the light, it's got little holes in it, 
and it's got brown stripes where they've cooked it. And then what they do is they take and they break it in half, and they slip one half of it inside of the center. There's three pouches in the afikuman. They put it in the center one there. They take the other, other half, they wrap it up in a napkin, and they hide it, and they send the children to go find it. Do you see the picture yet? The afikuman has three compartments, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They put it in the center one. They wrap it like Jesus was wrapped and put in a tomb. They send the children to go find it. When they come back, they rejoice, and they give glory to God because they have found the broken piece. Remember, it says that Jesus was pierced through for our transgressions, and by his stripes are we healed. And that matzah bread actually has little piercings in it today. If you go down to the grocery store, you'll pick up a box of it, and you'll see it for yourself, and it has brown stripes. It is a perfect picture of the death, burial, and resurrection. God had woven all of that into, all of that woven that into the very Passover story. Now watch this. You shall eat, now look, Leviticus, uh, create an environment of holiness. So what they do is in your home there, when you put a little, when you break the bread and you put salt on it, what you're doing is you're creating a mini sanctuary, a mini area of holiness where you remember the Lord. Because you're not supposed to put salt on bread. So what it does is it triggers your mind to remind you of your covenant with God, that I love God with all my heart. And that it will cost me something to follow him. It will cost me salt on my bread, so to speak, for me to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It's, it changes the whole perspective on let's hurry up and pray so we can eat or who has to pray today. It's like a burden. No, it's not a burden. This is the God of the universe. And he wants us to look at bread as a symbol of cooperation and connectedness so that we understand that we are, we are here where we are because of sin, but we are redeemed by this covenant of salt that reminds us of who God is. He says, you shall eat salt. Look at Leviticus 2.13. You shall eat salt every meal offering with salt. Do you realize every offering of God was, had to put salt on it, not just the wave offering? Every one of them, salt on every one of them. Why? Because every one of them, we want to remind you about this. Do you realize that in Israel today, there's a large body of water called the Dead Sea? It's the lowest place on earth. It is the saltiest place uh, in terms of a body of water. It's impossible to sink in it. Isn't it interesting that God put that there? But did you know in Ezekiel chapter 47, it says there's coming a day when I'm going to make fresh water out of the salt? I'm going to restore, I'm going to bring about healing into that. Do you realize that just two weeks ago, Israel, uh, Israeli news reported that they have found fish in the Dead Sea for the first time ever? We are living in prophetic moments of history right now. Not tomorrow, today. There is a restoration coming. God is bringing healing. Do you realize that it was, uh, it was Lot's wife who rebelled against God and became a pillar of salt, right? And when they look on the salt, they remember that she broke the covenant, the covenant of salt. And there are reminders all through Scripture. It says you shall eat uh, salt uh, on uh, every meal offering with salt. You must not stop the salt of God's covenant from upon your offerings. On every offering you must offer salt. This is so interesting, and it just probes you, the mind to just kind of want to know more and more and more. You see, 
it's a reminder that we are to uphold God's boundaries. Do you realize that God has put boundaries in your life and my life for a reason? It's not because he's like a cosmic killjoy and doesn't want us to have fun. No, he, he puts boundaries in our life so that we, we live a life that's a better life, a richer life, a life that's not only honoring to God but, but honoring to our, our fellow man. We are to uphold righteousness in our land. Righteousness must be up, up, upheld. Have you ever been in situations where everything was just, all the people around you were just unrighteous comments, unrighteous words, unrighteous stories, unrighteous, and you're sitting there just can't wait for it to end so you can get out of there? No, God says you have to uphold righteousness. You have to change the tone of what's going on there. That doesn't mean condemn someone. It means, hey, guys, let me, let me ask you this. Have you ever thought about the Lord's Prayer? You want to kill a bad story really fast? I read an article a few years ago about this, uh, this woman that uh, uh, her house was broken into and the guy was going to rob her. She was an elderly w- woman, and, and she didn't know what to do. She couldn't defend herself. And so she just started quoting the Lord's Prayer to the man. And she just went over and over, and, and he kept trying to shut up, and she just kept quoting it. And she said that she thought she was going to get killed. She was just so afraid for her life. But in the end, you know what ended up happening in that story? He ended up surrendering himself and became a Christian. Now, I cannot guarantee this will work in your home. <laughs> I do have a gun, and I, I will shoot them as I quote the Lord's Prayer. Just, just a little wound, just a little flesh wound. All right, I'm just kidding. So recently, uh, President Trump uh, gave a State of the Union, and I, I, I like to bring in things that are really relevant and significant for us. Because of recent legislation in New York about uh, abort, aborting a baby in late term, it, it's just uh, the thing that bothered me was not only that legislation that happened, but it bothered me that the governor of New York and Hillary Clinton were lifting hands together, rejoicing that you could abort a baby at nine months. And I thought, how far we have fallen. And I, I'm going to give you just a little excerpt out of his speech because I think he upheld righteousness in this moment. He said, there could be no greater contrast to the beautiful image of a mother holding her infant child than the chilling displays of our nation saw in recent days. Lawmakers in New York cheered with delight upon the passage of legislation that would allow a baby to be ripped from the mother's womb moments before birth. These are living, feeling, beautiful babies who will never get the chance to share their love and their dreams with the world. Let us work together to build a culture that cherishes innocent life and let us reaffirm a fundamental truth that all children, born and unborn, are made in the holy image of God. Now, I want you to see the significance of that because that was a publicly aired, widespread announcement of righteousness. That's upholding righteousness. That's saying things in a way that don't typically get said on a political platform. It's a good model for us to remember that we must uphold righteousness in our spheres of activity, that we have a responsibility to make the world a better place. The world is not a better place when you can destroy a baby. The world is not a better place when legislation not only takes away your freedom, but takes away the very breath that you breathe in your lungs. And we as believers, we should be stronger than anyone else. We should be more vocal, but we should be more loving and more kind and more grace-oriented than anyone else, too.
We are to live under God's protection. Let me show you how we can do that. I'm going to take you back to the salt of the earth passage. And I want you to see this in maybe a little bit different light. It says, you are the salt of the earth. Who is he talking to? He was talking to his disciples, but he was talking to a Jewish nation. That's really who he came to speak to, a Jewish nation. He looked at him, he said, you are the salt of the, light, uh, of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, you see, the salt on the bread was a reminder of the holiness of God. If the, if the salt doesn't have any savor, now remember, it's not talking about the physical, you know, composition of, of salt. It's talking about you. When you don't have savor, when you lose your saltiness, when you lose your holiness, when you forget God is what he's saying, how can it be made salty again? In other words, in most cases, when you lose your saltiness, you do not come back to it. When you lose your standards, you don't typically come back to them. It is no longer good for anything. He's looking at his disciples. He said, if you lose that which you pay, I paid such a dear price for, what are you really going to do on planet Earth anyway? What value do you bring? You can't, you can't reveal God to people because you have no saltiness. You can't bring heaven to earth because you have no saltiness. You can't really express the love of God. You can give the human kind of love, which is valuable, but it misses the whole point of eternity. He says to followers of Jesus Christ, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then be one. And if you're not, then you fall out from underneath the protection because look what he says. He says it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Do you realize the Jewish people that heard that message, that rejected Christ, that crucified him, went into the diaspora, that means the dispersion of the Jews worldwide, up until 1948? Because they lost their savor. And it was only then that, that God brought back, because it was prophetic, to rebuild a Jewish nation for an end-time prophecy and a clock that's been ticking since that time. But I want to bring it back to you, you and you and you and you and you. You're the salt of the earth. Are you salty? Are you changing the environment that you live in? Let's stand together and pray. Just bow your head with me for a moment. I just want to begin with uh, something very basic to our faith. It's the, it's the greatest miracle on planet Earth is when a person moves from darkness to light, from not knowing Jesus to knowing Jesus. That's the greatest miracle. We rejoice in the great miracles we see in this house, but the greatest miracle is when you become a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm going to show you how to do that. Some of you have already done that. You know you're a follower of Christ. But I'm just going to offer a prayer up. And you can just literally let this be your prayer. You can pray it out loud right where you stand or sit. It goes like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross. I believe that you were buried, that you rose from the dead according to the Scriptures. That when I put my faith in you, you will save me. That is, you will give me a new heart, a new destiny. You'll write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Save me now, Lord Jesus. Write my name in the Lamb's book of life. Let me be born again. If that was your prayer, and that was sincerely prayed from a heart of faith, then I want you right now just to thank him. 
Just thank you, Jesus, for saving me. He doesn't save you because you do rituals. He doesn't save you because you, you take the Lord's Supper, you have baptism. He saves you because his mercy on the basis of the cross that he died on and the resurrection that he gave you as a gift. That's why he saved you. And then if you say, well, I am saved now, and, and I know I was saved before I came in here, are you a follower? Are you really a follower? Or is Christianity more a courtesy nod to God for you? I wonder what the world would do if, if every one of us in this room would say, I'm going to be fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. I'm going to salt my environment with the presence of God. Amen? As we sing this together, I want you just to sing out in gratitude to who he is. Maybe you're reevaluating your, your life and you're saying, you know, I need to recommit my life to God because I've lost some saltiness. And I, and I don't want to be cast out and be worthless. I want to be, I want to be vibrant for God. I want, to be, I want to really be a true follower of Jesus Christ. So let's sing this together, all right? Did you feel like they were singing? Uh, not at all. I didn't no. think they were singing at all. That was pathetic. I mean, I, I know maybe four of you were singing, but you know, I don't know why. It's just like it won't hurt you. You go, well, it's the last. I just ready to get out of here and go have breakfast. Well, we're not letting you out that easy. You're going to have to sing this really strong, all right? Can you do it? You think you can do it? Turn the lights on so we see who's singing and who's not, all right? Lights up, lights up. We're going to... the sun sets. Do we got some lights? Let's uh... Give yourself a hand. You did good. How many of you sang out 
and it was painful. Not to your neighbor, to you. So it really didn't hurt anybody, right? So it's a good model. You can sing loud. It's good, right? Kind of get to get your everything going in you. Uh, God bless you guys. Hey, come back next week. Bring someone with you. Um, remember, uh, link uh, groups. Sign up. You can uh, connect with them. Are we going to open this up at, at this service or the second service? Now? There they go. Look. What's behind that door? Yeah, look at that. Food, fun, right? Hey, guys, you can save yourself a couple of bucks. Go feed your wife here. Guys, have a great day. We'll see you next week.